Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast for Hope City Church in Riverside, California. For more info about Hope City Church, visit www.hopecityriverside.org. Turn with me to Jonah chapter 2. We are, uh, this is part 3 of our series in the book of Jonah. We are, uh, I'm excited about this book. I love this book because there's so many amazing just gospel themes that are happening in this book. Um, we are, um, we are, again, like I said, this is our third part. So uh, let me just really recap for those who haven't been here what we've gone through so far, okay? So you don't have to, okay, we'll read through the whole first chapter. Uh, but let me just narrate. So here's the deal. There was a guy named Jonah. God sent him. He was a prophet. God sent him as a prophet to a people called the Ninevites, okay? Uh, real quick, we just saw that God is a sending God, and we are a sent people. We have been sent also. We have Great commission. God has given us a commission to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. And so, uh, similar to Jonah, we have been sent. The question is not whether or not we have been sent. The question is whether or not we're being obedient to our sending or, like Jonah, running uh, in the opposite direction. And so, uh, God sends Jonah to the Ninevites. Uh, the Ninevites were a non-Jewish people. That is, the Jews would have viewed them as outsiders, as those who were outside of the covenant of God. And it's amazing to me, it's part of one of the reasons I wanted to jump into this book, because, you know, we, we can talk a lot about kind of the people of God, think in modern terms, think the church and those outside, and, uh, and we think God just, you know, has just, just loves those who are in the church, and the reality is it's, that's not the case. God has a heart for every person that he's created. Uh, God's love is vast. And uh, he has a heart for those who are outside. And he will send us to those who are outside, or we might view as outsiders. Um, and here's the reality, man. Like, I don't, unless you were just like your whole life grew up, uh, you know, in the church and submerged in that. I know a lot of people that's your story. Uh, we've all been outsiders, you know. I've been that one that people were telling my mom, stop praying for him because you're wasting your breath. I've been that guy. And so uh, I thank God she never did. Amen. I thank God that she never put her. And I thank God that people never stopped reaching out to the outsider. Uh, and so I just want to grab that, just God's heart for people who, who were outside of the covenant. Um, but here's the deal. So it's very interesting that we saw this. And I mean, the hardest thing is to not do like a 30 minute recap. Okay? But we saw this like uh, uh, a couple weeks ago is that the Ninevites were actually a brutal and barbaric people. Okay? So Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And the Assyrians were just brutal. Okay? When, when villages uh, would hear that the Assyrians were coming, it was not uncommon for an entire village to take their own lives because they, they would rather do that than have whatever the Assyrians were going to do to them. Okay? They were brutal people. Jonah's people had been the victims of the Assyrians time and time and time again. What I want you to grab is that these people are the people that Jonah probably had the most reason to hate. Jonah probably had a good reason to hate these people. And God sends him to them and says, I want you to preach. Here's what God says. I want you to preach against them. Now, you would think Jonah just got, like, the dream gig. I know he said this every week, but you would think Jonah just got the dream gig because, like, God just told me to preach, like, hey, in 40 days, if you don't repent, you're going to be destroyed to the people that I have the most reason to hate. 
Like, you think he'd be like on his first donkey to Nineveh, like, let's just make this happen, right? But he doesn't, he doesn't do that. What does he do? He hops on a ship going in the opposite direction. Why? Why would he do that? The, the scripture is actually going to tell us later, but we, we talked about this. It's because Jonah understood something about the heart of God. Jonah understood. He knew his God well. He knew that if the Ninevites repented, that God was longing to show grace and mercy and compassion to them. It's like it's just true that we love the grace of God when it's coming our direction. We don't always love it when it's going to that person. You know, that one. That one that, that you don't like. That one that you maybe have the most reason to hate. We just don't want to see God pour out his grace on them. We, we're like the disciples. are like, hey, God, why don't you call fire out from heaven? Like, just nuke them, right? And, uh, but Jonah understood something about the heart of God. And he was like, man, I just know. I just know if I go. We're going to see this in, in later chapters. I just know if I go and preach this, this repent or you're going to be judged. But they might actually repent. And I don't want that, God. Like, oh, and you, you're going to pour out your grace. And I think that's lame. I don't want that to happen. So he runs, he runs, and here's what he does. He gets on his ship, and he starts heading away to a place called Tarshish. Well, God, the scripture says, hurls a storm onto the sea. So Jonah was a genius trying to run from the God who created the ocean on the ocean, okay? Talked about that last week. And this is what happens. So they hurls a storm. Everybody on the ship's freaking out. The experienced sailors are freaking out. It's not a baby storm. It says the ship was about to break up. And they're freaking out. They're all crying out to their gods. They have these multiple different gods. And they're like, dude, there's some dude asleep. Jonah's fast asleep in the bottom of the ship. Everybody else is freaking out, right? So they go wake him up. And they're like, maybe there's a god we miss. Like, you cry out to your god. Maybe your god would care because our gods aren't answering. They're like, who are you? Where, where, where did you come from? What's my name? all so, oh, I'm Jonah. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the one who made the heaven and the earth and the ocean. And they're like, oh, and you decided to run from them on the ocean. Great. You're a genius. Awesome. Okay. We said this last week. Sometimes God's people are not his best representatives. Sometimes God's people don't represent him well. And so they do. They're like, what are you doing? Like, because of you now, we're in all this danger. So they're like, what do we do? What do we do? Because we don't want to die. And we're about to die. So we don't want to, we don't want to die. What's up with that? What do we do? And he goes, here's what you have to do. You have to throw me overboard into the raging ocean. And uh, assuming that would kill him. And, uh, and then the sea will come down for you. They tried not to do that. And then eventually they're like, no, it's not going to work. They tried to row to shore. It's not going to happen. So they're like, God, don't hold us accountable for this fool's you know, death. That we've done as a pleasure. They throw him into the raging sea. And it says in verse 17 of Jonah, chapter 1, it says that, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So Jonah's been swallowed by a huge fish. Awesome. That's a little bit worse day than my day today. So that's where we left off. Jonah chapter 2 is where we're picking up now in verse 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to jump in. Cool, cool? Sweet. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Jonah chapter 2 in verse 1. Okay. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. 
Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows have passed over me. And I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. We've all come here by whatever means or whatever way, but I just pray that... Um, that you would have something for each one of us tonight. You would speak to each one of us that we'd have ears to hear you, God, and hearts to apply, that we would receive your word into our hearts and apply it, live it, be changed people because of what you speak to us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so verse 1 says this, so Jonah is in the belly of the fish. Now, listen, he's, he's a little traumatized, you can imagine, okay? So Jonah's running from God on a ship, about to die, thrown overboard, assuming that's going to kill him, and then now he's like swallowed up by this huge fish, okay? Pretty crazy, pretty bad day, okay? And it says this, what does he do? Like, how does he respond? Like, what's going on in Jonah's heart as this is happening? Verse 1 tells us, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Quick question, where is this prayer taking place? Yeah, in the belly of the fish. In the belly of the fish. Interestingly, Jonah prays and gives thanks, saying things like, you've answered me. You've raised my life from the pit, like past tense. Like, God, you've rescued me. You've raised my life, you've answered me. He's in the belly of the fish. Yes, is that weird to you? I, when I read that, I thought, like, what's happening? He's, he's like... It's drama time for him right now. Like, his things are bad. Things are not. He's in the belly of a fish in the ocean. Right? And he's like, God, you answered me. You raised my life from the pit. So what gives? I'm going to give you three just theories on what's happening here. There's different, different theories that people have. Okay? I, I want to give you three of them. Number one is this. Uh, that this is actually a, an actual death resurrection. Some people would argue that Jonah didn't actually live for three days and nights in the fish, but that he actually drowned and died and was preserved in the fish and later resurrected. Okay, that's a cra it sounds crazy when we hear that, but and I'm not an advocate of this theory. I'm just telling you what the theories are. Okay, uh, but they, people say this for a couple reasons. The first reason they say this is because of Jonah's words. In verse 2, he says this. He says, out of the Lord, I call the Lord out of my distress. He says, out of the belly of Sheol, that word could be grave. Out of the grave, I cried. Okay? Uh, so it's grave, hell, grave, place of the death. That's what that word means. Verse 6 says, from the pit. Same word, hell, grave, place of the death. Uh, same idea. Okay? The other reason they say this is because of Jesus' words in Matthew 12, 39 through 40, where he said, Jonah, what happened to Jonah would be a sign 
Okay, he says, you're not going to give me this head except for what happened to Jonah. For just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the air three days and three nights. He says, that will be a sin. So people say, hey, uh, I, I think it was an actual death. Maybe he was preserved in the fish and then he was resurrected. The problem to me with that interpretation is that verse 1 tells us Jonah was praying from the belly of the fish. It doesn't say he was dead in the belly of the fish. It said he was praying from the belly of the fish, which is where he was supposedly dead. Okay? So I don't buy that. I just, I just want to, I don't know why. I just felt like let's walk through the different interpretation and explain why you know, we come to the one that we come to. The second answer people give is this. Some people say that this is a prophetic prayer. What I mean by that is that Jonah is praying things, thanking God for things that haven't yet happened in his life. So somebody say, some, someone say he's just thanking God in advance for what hasn't happened yet. He's saying, hey, my life was fainting away, but you have rescued me. Thank you for rescuing me, God. And he knows he's full well he's not rescued yet, but, that he's, but he's just thanking God anyways. Maybe there's some element of that going on here. It's, it's very clear that Jonah has hope and he has expectation. But I tend to lean towards the third interpretation, and that's this. I think what's happening is that Jonah knew the fish was his rescue. I think Jonah knew the fish was God's answer. Though it wasn't a pleasant place to be. I think he understood that this was God answering his prayer. This is the most commonly held interpretation. Is that he was thrown overboard into the raging sea where he was about to drown to death. Look at the language. He said, seaweed was wrapped around my head and I was sinking toward the ocean floor and I cried out to you. He says, Lord, you've answered my prayer. I cried out to you from that place. I was going down to the moorings of the mountains. Like, I was going down to the, like, drifting deeper and deeper into the ocean, dying, and I called out to you, God, and you answered me. I think Jonah knew that the fish was God's answer. And he was thanking God for rescuing him. Even though he was in the belly of a fish, I think he was saying, I know this is the turnaround. I know this is your answer. So I think there are strengths to each interpretation, but I just think this one nails it. Feel free to wrestle with it on your own. No matter where you land, what I want to do tonight and the time that we have uh, is I want to take a look at Jonah's prayer. Um, and then next week we're going to take a look at how God responds to Jonah's prayer. Because both are amazing. So tonight I just want to look at three different things that I see in Jonah's prayer. Three different elements of prayer that I think are very helpful for us. Uh, instructive for us in our lives when we're going through different crazy seasons of life. Um, and when we're thinking of prayer, we're thinking of our relationship with God, I think these things will be very helpful to us. The first is this. Jonah was praying from a place of despair. Jonah was praying from a, praying from a dark, painful, hard place. Verse 2. He said, out of my distress, out of the belly of the grave, I cried out to you. He says, I was in great distress. I was facing death. Things were horrible. Things were not good. And I cried out to you. Verse 5 says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. He was about to drown. Verse 6, he says, I was at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. This is literally and figuratively the lowest place of his life. Okay? 
Jonah has never probably been in worse circumstances than this, scarier circumstances than this, more painful circumstances than this. And he had, in the knowledge of it was his disobedience that brought him to that place. How many of us can relate? I can. I can. Amen. We're just sometimes our own worst enemy, and I know like I'm in this place, I'm in great distress, I'm in despair, and things are dark, and everything's just closing around. I feel like I'm gonna die. This is the worst things I've ever been. And in that place, in deep distress, in the depths of his despair, being his own worst enemy, sure his life was over. What did he do? He cried out to God. He cried out to God. This is the right response. This is the only right response. When we find ourselves in that place of despair. I know, I know because I'm just like you, that there are many tonight who are in that place where you are like, man, things are horrific and I only have myself to blame. And I just want you to know that's a place God says, I want you to cry out to me. Call to me. Call out to me. I don't quit on you. We see this all throughout Scripture. We see this all throughout Scripture. Think of Job who's in this place, man. He didn't do it to himself, but it's like, man, he's in this place where he's lost everything. What does he do? He cries out to God. He just keeps worshiping, keeps trusting in God. And he goes, God, I'm gonna call, I'm gonna call out to you. Look at David, King David, like, man. He was a man after God's heart, but he was a deeply flawed man. A deeply broken man. What is he doing? When, man, when he's in the middle of just the, the, the mess of his own failure, what is he doing? He just cries out to God. He just goes, God, I go to you. People will fail you. They will fail you. They will fall short. They will quit on you. They'll bet. People do that. It's terrible. They shouldn't, but man, they will. They do. We fail each other. We fall short. God will never, ever quit on you. He will just never fail you. He, he's never going to run from you. He says, I promised you. I'll give you my word, my unbroken, un infallible word that I will never leave you or forsake you. Amen. You may be bad enough for people to quit on you. You cannot be bad enough for God to quit on you. You can't. So he cries out to God. We see this, the psalmist, read the psalms. I love the psalms because they're so raw and they're so real. You need a prayer language. You need some language from which to pray to God and, and share it. So you've got some deep, intense emotion. You're going to find it all in the psalms. Rejoicing and joy and victory and, and distress and sorrow and pain and anguish. It's all there. And every one of it is just this prayer and these songs to God just going, just giving him all to God. All the highs, all the lows, everything in between just going, God, just pouring your heart out raw and real and transparent. Like, I don't want to fake, I don't want to try to fake God. Like, we just try to fake it. Like, we use church voice with God. You know? Why do we do that? I don't know why we do that, but I catch myself doing it. I start talking to God and I start talking in a way that I don't talk to my wife. You know, I talk normal to people, and then I start talking to God, and I'm like, you know, omnipotent, holy father. It's like, oh, okay. God's like, oh, okay, I brought the fancy words out of prayer today. I feel like he's impressed. He's not impressed. Like, you know, or we act like, you know, what do we do? We do this. And this is kind of a problem, like in typical church culture, I'm not picking up, but where we come in and we feel like we can't be real. We feel like we can't be honest about being where Jonah's at right now. 
We're in the pit, and we walk into church. How do you do? It? Bless is God's best, brother. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not the knee. I'm blessed going in, blessed going out. Things are good in life. I'm, I'm victorious. I'm right. So, yeah, great. Okay? Awesome. Why don't we be real? Why don't we go? I'm not saying celebrate the sorrow. What I'm saying is be real with each other. You know, church should be a place where we can come and take off our mask, and people can see the ugly, and we go, I love you. I love you still. I love you. And here's, I'm taking off my mask. And you love me? Yeah. That's man. It's a place for healing. It's a place where we can be raw and real with each other. And know that we're going to be loved. And the church should be like that because God is like that. Yes. Because God is the safest place for you to take off your mask and go, God, I'm angry. Or God, I'm hurt. God, devastated. God, you're in distress. You're struggling, and you're still able to bring that to God. It's okay to acknowledge pain and despair and cry out to God. It doesn't mean you lack faith. In fact, it could be a sign of really deep, abiding faith that you trust God with even the darkest mess. So even in this lowest pit, Jonah just keeps talking with God. He just cries out to God, and he just hasn't stopped reaching out to him. And so, you know, for those that are here, those who have endured or are enduring tremendous seasons of suffering and struggle where the pain is just raw and real and seemingly suffocating, like like Jonah is taking your life, I want you tonight to take comfort and encouragement in the scriptures. To take comfort and encouragement in the story of Jonah and seeing that Jonah was in that place. Jonah came to me and he cried out to God like so many other faithful saints throughout the centuries. Broken, flawed, messed up, in despair. Cried out to God. Cried out to God. Trusted him with everything. Keep praying through your pain. We start to feel the pain in and we get silent. We cut off from God. We cut off from people. God bless you. We cut off from God. We cut ourselves off from people. We stop talking. We isolate. And man, that's what just, I don't want to sound like hocus pocus, but that's what the enemy loves to have us. is isolated from the people of God. Isolated from God. Not talking to him. Not talking to people. Listen, people may reject you, but don't reject yourself for them. Does that make sense? Don't. Don't isolate yourself before people reject you, assuming they're going to reject you. Give people a chance to love you. Give people a chance to pour out grace. <clears throat> and cry out to God. Cry out to God. That's all. So just be raw and real and transparent. But here's the thing, too. Don't embrace your suffering. That's not what I'm saying. Don't embrace your suffering. Embrace God in your suffering. Like, who just wants to suffer? I'm not asking God for suffering. I'm not asking God to go through a trial. But we're going to go through them. And when we go through them, when we suffer, even from our own hand, I'm not saying embrace that. I'm saying embrace God in that. Okay, second thing. So we saw, number one, that he prayed from a place of despair. We're looking at Jonah's prayer. Number two, we see that he prayed with gratitude. He prayed with a heart of gratitude. Look at verse 9. He says, but I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I'll pay. Salvation belongs to He's praising the salvation of God, and he's thanking it. He says, I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Once he's rescued, he's not even out of the water yet. He's still in the belly of the fish, and he starts thanking God. 
He's not having a weeds yet. Like he's all he's just saying is like, okay, count me. Count me. I'm gonna die. God, help me. Okay, thank you for the fish. And he starts thanking God. He starts thanking, he's not even completely like fully rescued yet. But he just starts thanking God for the work in his life. How often do we, this pierced me this week, okay? As I was studying and preparing, how often do we forget to come, we come to God with our needs, we cry to him, or we get angry with him about different stuff, whatever, or we just form a request. How often do we come to him just to thank him? Just to thank him. Listen, Jonah has some stuff to complain about. Jonah also recognizes he has plenty to be thankful for. So there's, it doesn't matter like what season of life we're in, there is always something to thank God for. Okay? There's always something to be thankful for. I'm not saying there isn't reason to mourn. There isn't reason. Yes, there's reason for us. There's also reasons to glorify and thank God and just praise Him for His goodness. You know, we don't often just hear that. Like, how do we, you know, how often, what percentage of my prayers? This is a question I asked myself this week. I was sitting there and I was just like, oh, this just rocked me. I sat down and I pushed myself back from the desk and I was like, felt like God was just dealing with me. I just went like, what percentage of my prayer life is just thanksgiving? What percentage of my prayer life is just going, God, you're just so good. You're just so good for this and this and this and this and in this way and in this way and I just thank you for this. And I thank you for that. I thank you for this. It's amazing what doing that would do to your demeanor. It's amazing what having a, gra- a, a, a heart full of gratitude will do for your demeanor. Okay? It's so easy to just get right here. We're so short-sighted and all we can see is just our immediate, and it's, it's the drama that we focus on. It's the difficult stuff that we tend to focus on. It's so crazy because even recently, it's just been like, Last man from the beginning of the year, this has been like the gnarliest season, even before that. But just one of the most difficult gut-wrenching seasons of my life. And I just reached a spot where I was just, oh, just and I was pouring out. And this kid was like legitimate like complaints I had, legitimate like sorrows that I had. But at one point God just tapped me on the shoulder and was like, I want you to like thank me. I want you to write down everything right now. And I did this a couple months ago, I just wrote down everything that I had to be thankful for. It's like I couldn't stop once I started. Like the first couple things, like, okay, okay, and I had a thing, and then it just was like floodgates, and literally it was like three pages plus, and I was going, and by the end of that, I was like, ah, I had been so focused on what was going wrong, that I had failed to give thanks to the God of heaven for everything that was amazing, for everything to be celebrated. It didn't take away any of the drama, it changed my perspective. Yeah. It changed my focus. And lifted my heart and my eyes to the Lord, and I just went, This drama is temporary. It's perishable. It's, it's here and gone. And I'm going to have other seasons like this. And have a, but right now, even in the middle of the mess, I have so much to be thankful for. <coughs> Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. I'll just read this to you real quick. Talking about Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices. And these people with leprosy, they said, "Jesus, Master, have mercy on us." And when he saw them, he said to them, "Go and show yourselves to the priests." 
And as they went, they were cleansed. They were healed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. And Jesus said, check this out. Weren't there 10 that were cleansed? Didn't I just heal 10 people? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise and thanks to God except this one? And he said to them, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. What does what that little passage tell us? At least one thing. At least one, it tells us multiple things, but at least one thing. It tells us that Jesus actually notices when we fail to give thanks. It's arrows in my heart too, okay? I'm busted too. Jesus notices. He notices when we come and thank him. And he notices when we fail to give him thanks. How many times have I'm just pick on myself. How many times have I cried out to God and then he, like, like repeatedly for something, just a prayer request something, and then he answers my prayer and I'm like, oh. and I spend more time complaining and crying out to him than I spend praising and thanking him after he answered it. So, for all of us, I was um, disciplined by that probably as much as anything, and you're probably more than anything. Uh, just, just know that what it taught me as I was reading it again this week is I just need to have a renewed commitment again to just live with a heart that is filled and overflowing with gratitude. Whatever else there is to complain about, I just have so much to be thankful for. So much just beautiful in life, even in the middle of the drama. I was with a family uh, last week, um, I shouldn't say some of the kids in the service. They were going through a really, really difficult time. I lost a family member who was 23 years old and a two year old daughter. His kid used to be in our youth group. And, uh, and I'm talking with the family, and as we're talking and as we're praying and I'm comforting them and they're weeping, they're just distraught. He has a two year old daughter and a wife, 22 years old, that left over that he left behind. And as we're talking, maybe one of the family members is devastating, devastating, starts thanking God for different things. Just started giving thanks to God. And I thought, who am I? Like, my stuff is not as intense as this. Whatever I'm going through, it's not that difficult right now. And they can manage to find a heart of gratitude in the middle of the most intense suffering. We can do the same. We can do the same. So I just want us to be instructed by that tonight. Third and final thing. So Jonah prayed from a place of despair. He prayed with a heart that was filled with gratitude. And third, he prayed filled with faith and expectation. He prayed a prayer that was filled with faith and expectation. Look at verse 4. He says, Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I will again look upon your holy temple. Jonah's in a fish in the ocean. He says, I'm going to see your temple again. God, I know. I know I'm going to see your temple again. What is that? That is faith. 
That is, that's him going, I know, I'm going to get out of this fish. I'm going to get back up on dry land. I'm going to make it to the temple. I'm going to see that temple again, God. I know I am. Look at verses 8 and 9. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will offer sacrifices to you. He's like, I'm going to make it to the temple, and I'm going to offer sacrifices to you. What I vow, I will pay. Apparently, Jonah started making some vows when he was in the water. I feel like he's in the ocean. He starts going, There's, you ever know that? Like, oh, God, this like this when I saw all this. <laughs> he starts making some vows. Like, you know? And like, the, so he's in the fish, and he goes, listen, here's what's going to happen. I, I know this is my rescue. I got faith. I'm going to get up on the line. I'm going to see that temple again. I'm going to offer sacrifices again. And I'm going to fulfill what I vowed to you, God. You hear the faith and expectation in Jonah's prayer. He is filled with it. He is filled with faith, saying, God, I know this is the answer, and I know that you're going to complete the rescue. I know you, God, and I know you're going to prove faithful. Amen. He anticipated that he would continue to see the goodness of God. What does Scripture say? I would have lost heart. We talked about this in our, in our, in our series on hope. Hope changes everything. The verse says, I would have lost heart. Unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the says, I would have lost all courage, I would have lost all hope, I would have given up, except for the fact that I believed that I was going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Yes, I want to be with God for all eternity, but I don't think my time's up yet. I think I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's faith. He believed that his rescue would be complete, that God would bring complete salvation. Here's what I, I just pray in faith. Scripture's filled with this. When you pray, yes, cry out to God. Yes, cry out from a place of despair. Yes, be filled with gratitude. Yes, pour out our complaints and all that. But also, be filled with faith that God will respond. Be absolutely jam-packed with faith and hope and expectation that God's going to come through. That is all of the scriptures, all of the New Testament. Just, just read through. Just read through and watch how many times we're going, you know what? I just believe in you, God. I know my circumstances are nuts. I don't, even, I don't even have a natural reason to believe this because everything in my life is pointing in the opposite direction. But you put something in my heart that says, oh, you're going to come through. I just know it. I just know it. And yeah, it sucks right now, but man, you're going to come through. I just know it. I just know it. Because you are a faithful God. Yes. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Talking about faith, it says this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not yet seen. Here's what, it, here's what it's saying. Here's what faith is. It says, even though we aren't yet fully seeing or experiencing the thing that God has caused us to hope for, Okay, so we're hoping for something, but we don't see any like material evidence of it. We don't have any like logical reason in the natural to like go, oh, I see, oh, because of this, it's gonna happen. No, there's nothing in our natural sense. But it says faith is the internal conviction and assurance that we will. Yeah. Even though we're not seeing anything yet, faith is the internal conviction that we're, oh, we're going to. God is gonna come through. 
Now listen, faith is not a magic wand, okay, to grant us whatever we desire, okay? I'm not, I'm not that kind of teaching where I say, hey, just have faith, and God just, like God's like a genie there to answer to every request. Faith is not a magic wand. If I just conjure up enough faith, he's going to give me everything that I've asked for, okay? Faith doesn't, living by faith doesn't mean that we will never suffer or that every prayer we pray will be answered exactly the way that we want it. Okay? Our faith is not in our circumstances. Our faith is in Jesus. Does that make sense? What we do is we go, oh, Jesus, I have faith in you for this thing. And then that thing doesn't happen. And we go, oh, we quit on Jesus. Our faith was never in Jesus then. Our faith was in the thing. Our faith was in Jesus doing something for us. It wasn't in Jesus no matter what he sovereignly decides to do. Our faith is in Christ, not in our circumstances. Hebrews 11, if you're taking notes, just write down 32 through 40. But it says this, I'm just going to summarize. It talks about people who lived by faith. The whole chapter is just people who lived by faith. And by faith they did this, and by faith they did that, and by faith they did these amazing things. Remember Noah by faith did this? Remember Abraham by faith did this? And it's all these like victories. You're like, oh yeah, like you're pumped. Right? But if we're not careful, we can start to get the idea that like, oh, if I'm not experiencing all these victories, but I'm not walking in faith. Let me read you verses 32 through 40. I thought I was going to summarize a lot. Let me read it to you because it's important. He's just, he's building, he's building. Like, this is like the crescendo. Go read all of Hebrews 11. Because this is like an amazing crescendo to a whole chapter. By faith, they did this. By faith, they did that. And by faith, they did You're like, oh, you're just flying. Like, all these victories. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. Who through faith, listen to all these things. They conquered kingdoms and enforced justice and obtained promises. And they stopped the mouths of lions. And they quenched the power of fire. And they escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of their weakness, and they became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead back to life. Oh, amazing. And the very next words say, some were tortured. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. Sorry, kids. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. It says the world wasn't worthy of these suffering saints. They wandered about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though they were commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us. Now he's saying, he's not saying they didn't receive their eternal promise. He's saying some people lived by faith and saw victories. Some people lived by faith and saw terrible circumstances. But they all died in faith. And so they won. Everything the enemy does to you, everything this world is an attack on your faith. Do you think the enemy cares whether you're rich or poor? A lot of rich people serve Satan. Real talk. A lot of poor people serve the Lord. But if he can attack your finances and that's the thing that causes you to let go of your faith, well, he'll do it. 
Do you think the enemy cares if you're healthy or sick? He doesn't care. A lot of healthy people serve sick. A lot of sick people serve the Lord. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. And guess what? Ten out of ten people die. Like, we're all, like, on the way out. Even if we're healed now, it's, it's happening later, right? But the enemy will attack your health if that's the thing that causes you to let go of your faith. All, all these just examples, okay, are what I'm saying is, if you, even if you go through just difficult, crazy circumstances and die in faith, you still win. You still win. So Jonah is filled with faith, okay? Our faith, and his faith was in God, not in his circumstances, because the circumstances didn't necessarily give him any reason for all the fish, okay? It was like, okay, I'm seeing part of his answer, but he still wasn't out of the weeds, man. He still wasn't out of the ocean yet. He's still in the depths. He's still in the belly of a fish. He's still in bad circumstances. And he had faith. He said, I will see that temple again. I will offer sacrifices and I will fulfill my vows to you, Lord. Be, listen, just be filled with faith. Don't have to be convinced about everything. Just be filled with faith. Just as God says it, and I just believe it. God, you dropped it into my heart, and I just believe it. If our faith is rooted in Christ and the eternal promises of God, then no worldly suffering can steal it. Like, our faith is only as powerful as the object of our faith, okay? So if our faith is in temporary circumstances, it will falter when we experience suffering. But if our faith is in Christ and in the eternal promises of God, then no worldly suffering can steal it. And let me just say this. Difficult circumstances cannot steal your faith. They can only reveal your faith. Difficult circumstances cannot steal your faith in you. They will just reveal what level of faith you actually had. And so, if we quit on God when circumstances are tough, we weren't really worshiping him to begin with. We were using him as a means to an end. We didn't want him, we wanted the stuff. We didn't want him, we wanted the peace. We didn't want him, we wanted the comfort. We didn't want him, we wanted peaceful, wonderful, awesome circumstances. And when we didn't get that, we quit on him. These people in Hebrews 11 and Jonah all had their faith rooted in the eternal promises of God. Faith does. So there is the eternal promises. That's what our faith is in. But faith actually does impact our lives now. Okay? And it does play a huge role in our human experience. So it's not just for eternity. It's also for now. Faith also impacts now. And the scriptures, there's just tons of scriptures that point to this. I'm laying in the plane right now, I promise. But Jesus is constantly, read through the Gospels, Jesus is constantly commending faith. Every time he sees faith, he says, your faith, awesome, your faith is amazing. Your faith has made you well. Your faith, like, how many times? And he's rebuking unbelief. He goes, how, why are you so little faith? Why are you so little faith? He's just commending faith and rebuking unbelief, okay? Now, he has grace when we struggle with faith. Okay? We see that in Mark 9. It's a beautiful picture. Like, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Which is the right thing to do when you find unbelief in you, is ask for help. That's right. Go, God, help me. 
I believe, I'm struggling to believe. I love the guy's honesty. I believe, I'm struggling to believe. Can you help me with that? It's a prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. If you find yourself in that place, I, I, I have faith, but God, my faith is struggling. I, I have a lack of faith. Man, praying that prayer is faith. Praying that prayer is faith. It's going to God with the thing you're struggling with. Even if what you're struggling with is faith, it's a beautiful, faithful prayer to say, help me with my faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Ah, man. That's good. It's like hard up front and then like, ah, okay, awesome. It says, like, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God just just believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So when circumstances pressed in on Jonah, when he was at the darkest, most painful and confusing place of his life, his faith stood strong. He expected that God would hear and answer his prayer. He prayed bold, faith-filled prayers. And I just, may the same be said of us. May the same be said of us. I don't know where you're at tonight in your life. Maybe you're in the belly of the fish. Pray. Just pray. Like, cry out to God from the place of despair. With gratitude and with faith. And if you struggle with faith, ask God for faith. If you struggle with the desire to even cry out to God, Tell God that. Just be raw and reward the real God and need you to stay. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness and for your grace and your mercy, Lord. You are a wonderful God. And I, I just thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. I pray for those that are here tonight and they are struggling and they are in that place, God. They're in that place of despair. I don't know all the circumstances, but God, you know. You know where everybody's at. You know what they're going through. And Lord, I just pray that you would step in and rescue in just a miraculous way, that you would do something just profound and um, beautiful in their lives, Lord. Um, and even before the, the um, just the full realization of rescues happened, God, even in the middle of the mess, even in the middle of the struggle, I pray that you would come and bring faith and come and bring peace and uh, 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 just fill their hearts, fill all of our hearts with gratitude, Lord. Um, where we were corrected by your words tonight, man, we, maybe we just take that as a sign of your love for us. Jordan promises you just correct every child that you love. And so if we were corrected, Father, we would just take that as a sign of your love and just walk um, in a renewed commitment to follow you in a fresh way, Lord. And I, I just pray, specifically, God, my heart is just burdened for everyone here who's just struggling, who's just suffering so many different ways. And maybe, like all of us get in season of our life, maybe it's at their own hand, maybe... Lord, it's what we've done to ourselves, or maybe it's things that others have done to us, and whatever. Just maybe it's something physical. Maybe it's uh, something we're fighting just in our minds. Lord, I, whatever it is, God, you know, you know. And I pray that in that you would just meet us where we're at. God, just meet us where we're at. Meet every person in their place of need and draw us to you, Lord. That we would experience your comfort and your grace 
and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.